Why don't you join me? I am preaching a word today um, on, we, we, you know, me and Pastor Dell, we were praying about our sermon. We always pray way ahead of time, months ahead about our sermon series and what we feel like God's calling us to do. So we don't just do whatever we're feeling like in the moment. Um, and leading up to Easter, we wanted to preach on something about like evangelism, okay? And okay, that seems like an interesting topic for me. It is something I am passionate about, but in an interesting way in a way that might be different from other people. So I just wanted to share today about something God has spoke to me for, for these past several years about what does it mean to reach the world? So today's sermon is titled Reaching the World. Okay, Reaching the World. I'm very intentional about this phrase in particular because I personally get slightly triggered by this title. Why? Because I feel like there's so much language thrown around that's always so big. It's always about big things. Whatever, it's, if it's not big, it's not important. That's just something that is common we see in, okay, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself, but reaching the world, because I think there's so much hype around that, you know, you're not really serving God until you're doing something huge. But actually, when I say reaching the world, there's a subtitle to it. I don't know if we're going to, uh, it'll be up there, reaching the world, subtitle, ministering in the ordinary things, okay? So how are we gonna reach the world? It's we're gonna do small things. I thought about naming the sermon Dream Smaller, okay? <laughs> Dream Smaller, okay? Um, but we'll talk a little about that. Um, and before we, before we dive into the passage too, uh, one of the main things that we were talking about was like, let's really talk, hit on something that we mentioned before. It's in the Great Commission where Jesus says, you know, He's giving the great commission to go make disciples, right? But typically how that passage is used, it's very, the emphasis on the word go. There's two verbs, right? Go and make, right? So first you have to go and second you have to go make something. It's very like, you got to do a lot of stuff. But one thing about the first verb in the, in the Greek, in the grammar, it's not necessarily an imperative. Imperative means command, telling you to go, you must do this. What it's, it actually is, is a present progressive, right? So what that means is as you are going. While you're going, it's like, and he's literally talking to his group of people on the mountain. He's saying like, okay, now as you go back to your lives, as you go about living, as you're living in your neighborhood, make disciples, right? He's not saying go and pointing off into the distance. He's saying, as you're going, as you're walking back home, as you are where you are, reach people, love people, make disciples in the name of Jesus, right? So we're going to talk about that today a little bit. Um, and I feel like the word to kind of we're going to use this word a lot today, and it's just, a, it's just going to be a place that we're going to start. It's the word is influence. Okay, influence. So I, that word has been kind of funny nowadays because whenever people see the word influence, now they just think of like in Instagram influencer, you know, like you like, you, you share products and ads on your thing of like you at the pool or I don't know. Um, I'm married to like quite the influencer, right? She's a social media star. Look her up. She's hilarious. Okay, sorry. Um, I love you. Um, influence. But what do we mean by influence, right? Influence is just, is really simply influence or impact. It's just, it's, it's the idea of making, an, making a mark or making a difference or making a positive, leaving a positive impression on somebody else, Okay. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about anything bigger than that. We're not talking about like manipulation, like, oh, you're, you're under the influence, you know? Like that sounds so negative sometimes. Like, oh, I don't want to influence people. I just want to love people. It's like, no, we're talking about influence as a good thing. I'm not trying to manipulate. I'm not trying to force people. Like when I talk about influence, I mean, 
I, when I first moved to California, I remember when I went to church in California and some of the guys were shocked to find out that I never had In-N-Out before. And I was like, I don't know, I really like some place called Hardee's. If you're from the Midwest, it's called Hardee's. Out in the West Coast, it's called Carl's Jr., right? I don't know why they do that. As you know, in the East Coast, it's called something else. There's like different names for all the exact same thing. But um, I think it's the exact same. But I was like, I like Carl's Jr., I think it's super good. They're like, bro, just, just trust us. I was like, okay, okay, fine. And they just were showing me something good. I went to In-N-Out and my life was changed forever, okay? And I love In-N-Out, I think it's amazing. It's cheaper, it feels fresher, all that stuff. But then my opinion changed. Now I, have a, I feel differently about cheeseburgers. I feel differently. I have a, I have a slightly more positive um, image and a, a deeper understanding of the beauty of cheeseburgers through being influenced. I had a good friend who I trusted and because of his influence in my life, I experienced In-N-Out. That makes sense? Talking about influence, all right? So what does it look like for us as Christians to influence, to impact the world, to make a change where people go from not knowing Jesus, not loving Jesus, to knowing and loving Jesus Christ our Lord, right? How do we do that? We're going to dive into John chapter 7, okay? Book of John. We're going into the book of John chapter 7. I'm only going to read a little bit. I'm not going to go too in-depth into this passage because... We just started our John Bible study this past Wednesday. I hope you were there. If you're not, it's not too late, come join us. But we're going to be diving into some of these passages. I'm going to give you a little sneak peek into John chapter 7, okay? One of my all-time favorite passages. It's beautiful. You're not going to get the full picture of it, but I'm going to share with you a little bit, all right? And I was supposed to have written the verse here. I don't have it. Uh Uh-oh. But I generally know. Let me give you some background first, Okay. Well, I usually like to pray after I read the word, but I've already talked so much. Let's just pray first before we go any further. Can we do that? Father, we thank you for the beauty of your word. Lord, and we believe that your word is clear. Your word is true. Your word is powerful, Father. So would you speak? We open ourselves to receive from your word, God. And I just pray right now um, for all all of your children that their hearts and their eyes would be open, Lord, because I I believe, God, Lord, I'm not here trying to, give some whole new plan, not a new gospel, not anything. But Lord, um, I feel like it's time to maybe grow, maybe change a little bit, change the way we thought about things before. Maybe we got it wrong before. I just pray for openness of hearts to, to admit maybe that there's something we can do things better. So would you lead us and guide us to become influencers for the kingdom of God? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Dang, I really dislike that I just said that. Influencers for the kingdom of God. But okay, you guys get what I meant. John chapter 7, okay? Now, I want to give you a picture of this. Jesus is at the Feast of Tabernacles. He's at the Feast of Booths, all right? So this feast in general is a time where the people of Israel will, will gather together to celebrate a handful of things. I'm going to list them off, right? One is, it's, it's all about harvest. It's about the harvest. So these are like a agricultural people. They have, they're shepherds, um, and they also are farmers, right? And so during the, one thing that's very important to grow crops that any farmer knows is you need water and Usually, water from the sky is the best because it's free, okay? And so they go and they're praying, they're celebrating the God that provides for the harvest, you know? It's where they're recognizing we can't do anything to make our plants grow. Like, we're completely dependent on God. So, God, we're just saying, you have been faithful. You always bring the water when we need it. So we're just trusting you're going to bring the water, right? And then it's, that's one aspect. It's like rain and the provision of God. Second is also water in the desert where they're kind of remembering... Um, 
they're remembering uh, when they're wandering in the wilderness and God provided water in the desert place, right? Like it's all about provision still. God, we, pr- we believe that you will provide water even in desert places. So we're celebrating, we're thanking, remembering, and we are looking forward that you will do that again, right? Third thing is this, they're looking forward now. Okay, so all those are first, one is a little bit more just purely practical, like uh, agriculture, right? We need rain for our crops. Second is more like, God, you provide when we're in the desert place. You give fresh water. You give life where there's death, right? But then there's also the future prophetic vision, okay, what they're celebrating. And they're looking forward to a day that is prophesied in Ezekiel chapter 47, okay? Ezekiel chapter 47 is it paints this image, and if you come to the Bible study in a few weeks, you, you will, we'll, talk, we'll dive into this, but it paints the image of the temple of God and water is flowing out of the temple, okay? It's a vision Ezekiel's having of water flowing out of the temple, flowing to the east, and wherever the water goes, it gets deeper and deeper and deeper, and then uh, wherever the water is, like life begins to come up plants and animals and, and where there was, it was a dead seas over there. And so the dead sea comes to life and there's fish in it. So it's the, I, this picture, just picture that image of this glorious temple and God's glory is on it. And then water flows out and, and then all this life and abundance comes. And so they're looking forward, Lord, we know that you have given water in the past for agriculture. We know that you spiritually, you provide us all this stuff, but we also believe that a day is coming when your glory will fill the temple and that there will be goodness and blessing and abundance flowing out of the temple of God. And then people will see once again that Israel is great. It's a source of life, all that stuff. Like you're going to bring us back on top. We're going to be, you know, awesome. It's all going to be great. And so they had this image right there. They, it's, a, it's multiple things on this festival, but it, it, the pinnacle of it, the last day of the feast is where they focus on Ezekiel 47 of water flowing out of the temple, right? It's a prophetic image where there will be restoration and healing and abundance in the people of God. Jesus shows up the last day of the, of the feast, right? Shows up for the last day of the feast. Um, and he goes up and he says this. He says, whoever thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And out of his heart will flow streams of living water. Okay? So I, I, could, I could spend a lot of time unpacking this, but really simply is he's making a really big statement here, a weird statement, because th- liter- like, this could be re- right before or right after one of, the, one of the teachers of the law went up there and read Ezekiel 47 talking about living water flowing out of the temple, right? And then he goes up and says, Whoever's thirsty, come to me and drink. And out of his heart, out of a person's heart, will flow streams of living water. And in their head, they're thinking, when you think flow streams of living water, you're thinking, oh, wherever water flows, there's life and abundance and healing, right? And restoration. So you're saying that people who come to you out of their heart will flow streams of living water? Jesus, you're getting it wrong. Um, it's supposed to be out of the temple, out of this giant building, this, 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 uh, you know, this monolithic structure that we've built to be the glory of Israel. Like, it's supposed to flow out of the temple. And he's saying, out of your hearts, okay? And so already what Jesus is doing here is he's shifting the narrative, okay? He's saying, it's not gonna flow out of this structure, out of this building, right? Because the temple of God used to be the stationary, physical location thing, right? It was, a, it was an actual place. It was an actual, like, thing where we would do ceremonies. And it was, it was, it, you could go and walk there. You can find it, right? Saying, it's not about the building anymore. 
It's not about the, it's not about the institution. Now it's up to you. The glory of God, the healing power, the healing work, the restoration that, of the living water that's going to come from God is not going to come from a building. It's going to come from you. So what we're going to talk about just for a moment is institutional power versus personal power. Okay? Institutional influence, if you will, versus personal influence. Okay? That's what we're going to spend the next like 10, 15 minutes talking about. Institutional versus personal Big versus small, all right? I'm gonna hit, hit this from a few different aspects. And I just really want you to get this, all right? Because it's all about this. It's about big versus small. Institutional versus individual, right? Institutional versus personal. Because what happens in church a lot of the time is, like, this happens so often. I, I used to be at this church um, down in Orange County and did so much in the city of Santa Ana and we would, you know, feed people. And then I remember one time we had like a, one of those, what do you call it, where all the church shows up and we have like a city council, not city council, uh, church hall, town hall meeting, right? A town hall like we do with Clyde too. We haven't been to gather in person, but back we did a gathered in person. I remember someone raising their hand and be like, hey, you know that there's also, um, there's also an issue of, I don't remember the exact issue, but it was like, there's an issue of alcoholism or something, drugs in the city of Santa Ana. And he said, what is New Song doing about it? Oh, I'm so sorry. What is this, what is our church? Oh, it was New Song Church. Like, what is New Song doing about it? It's called New Song Church, okay? Shout out to New Song, I love you guys. And, uh, and then it was so funny because one of our leaders answered in such a great way. He says, that's a great question. What are you doing about it? Right? And it was just like this weird moment. It's like, no, I asked you what New Song is doing about it. It's like, that's what I'm saying. You are New Song, right? So when you say, what, is New, what you're thinking is, what is the institution doing about it? Isn't there some people that's supposed to make change? Isn't there so, someone supposed to do something, right? And so you look at the church as this like, as some like separate entity, as like this thing. And what happens is we look at church as the source of all blessing and of power and of impact and of influence, okay? And this is, this is what's happened. Like, and I, I really am thankful for what uh, a few leaders in my life who helped me see this, right? What has become of church is that the goal is to make the name of the church as big as possible so that as we become this big church, you know, like Collide City Church, then everyone will come to Clyde City Church and find healing and find restoration, find Jesus and be blessed, right? But actually, maybe it's the other way around. Maybe the church is supposed to be the, the thing on the bottom and it's actually the people of the church that are meant to rise up and do great things, right? It's not about like, oh, what can I do to serve my church so that my church can make an impact? It's no, what can, what can the church do to serve and equip its members so that the members go and make a difference? You guys getting what I'm saying? You guys get, get what I'm talking about? Because it used to be like, okay, I'll just give my money to the church and the church will change the world. I'll just invite my friend to church and then the church will change my friend. I'll just, you know, you think that institution is going to do something about it. But even from the very beginning, this is the 2,000-year-old problem. People were expecting the church. People were expecting the, the temple to do something. But what Jesus came to say is, you're the one who's going to make the impact. It's an individual, it's a, it's a personal thing. It's a person-to-person -person thing. Jesus didn't come down to, God could have chosen any form to come down to, the, to, the, to earth. He could have come as a giant floating temple. I don't know, like he could have come down as, I don't know, he could have come down to anything, but he came down as an individual, as a person. 
so that he could make a personal impact, so he could walk with people, so he could talk with people, so he could know people, right? So moving away from an institutional to personal. Now, I just want to hit another thing about this. It's because we think about bigness, right? There's this, this, and it, this, is a, this is pretty pervasive across like churches too, where we think that it doesn't feel important unless it's big. We don't feel like things are important unless they're big. Now, so I just want to talk really quickly about like movies. Okay, I love film. I know that Pastor Dell has talked to me a few times like, hey, you got to sound more churchy. You got to sound more Christian, right? And I'm like, yeah, but I like talking about all kinds of stuff. So I, I, I mean, clearly I'm talking about scripture, but I love, I love drawing some wisdom of how they can help us see things, okay? So when I look at movies, I'm a big, big into film. One thing I see that's pretty common among people who understand film is that there's something, there's, there's a cheap story, there's cheap stories, and then there's um, deep stories, Okay. And now they're both revolve around significance. So we want people to feel like this is important. Because if someone watches a movie and feels like it's boring, it's like they're not going to care. But how do we make people feel like what they're watching is important? So a cheap story, how they make something feel important is it needs to be bigger. Okay? There's a comet going to come and destroy the earth. Okay? It's like, oh my gosh, that's the biggest possible problem. There is a evil, there's an evil person who's going to destroy the earth. There, it's like, we has to be big. The president of the United States is going to die or this or so. But so those are cheap stories. It's easy for people to make it feel like this is really important because the whole world is at stake. There's a zombie apocalypse and everyone is a zombie now. It's like, it's so big. It's extreme. So it makes you feel like it's important. See, but deep stories, deep stories can take things that look ordinary, look small, look not extravagant or flashy, and they can show you the beauty the value, the importance of them. There's this film, I think it won the Academy Award Best Picture like in 87 or something. It's called Ordinary People. And it's, it's such a, it was such an interesting movie when I watched it because the story, it just revolves around one family who had two sons and a mom and a dad and this older son died and it just exposed all these issues in the family. But it was crazy how, how deeply you get drawn in and you see the pain of the, of the younger brother. You see the pain of, the, you see the issues of the mom. And it's like, you see, because it gets so personal. It gets so real. It starts talking about the issues of the human heart. And it's, it's interesting, though, because church, it's, that takes more effort. It takes more effort, more, more precision, more subtlety, more depth, more nuance to be able to show, even in these things that on the surface might seem not big, it's small, but you can still see the beauty and the importance of it, right? See, church does the same thing, right? I see this all the time. I, I see, I, I get a little bit, no offense, you know, I get the beauty of it, but I get a little bit annoyed when every single time we pray for somebody and you get a sense that God wants to use them, that you say, or we say, God's calling you to the nations. You're gonna change the world. And I'm just like, hey, calm down. Like, hold on. Like, what do you mean by that? I get that what you mean is like God wants to use you. But, for you, but you really want them to feel like what you're saying is important. Like, I really mean it. So you say, you're going to change the world. You're going to call to nations. It's like, I feel like you're assuming that it's not important because you feel like it's important. It's not important until it's at that level. Why can't we say, hey, God's really going to use you to impact a handful of people's lives, right? And it doesn't sound very sexy. It doesn't sound big enough. It doesn't sound important enough. That can sound like an insult, right? Like, oh, so you think I'm not going to do anything important. It's like, Actually, no, God is telling me that that is as important as it could possibly get because you have no idea how, how valuable, how, how precious those handful of lives are to Jesus, right? 
And so we're needing, I feel like we've got to start shifting our perspective. Like, hey, how we're going to impact the world on a large scale. So this is where we're, we're going to make a few jumps, okay? I want to talk briefly. I'm running out of time because I don't want to talk too much about this stuff. I want to talk about, okay, what does it look like? But um, Malcolm Gladwell has this book called Tipping Point, right? He's a, he's, a, he's a writer. He's not a Christian, but he writes about phenomenon in the world where where do we see big movements happen in the world, big changes, like that changes the city or changes all these things. Real simply, his premise of the book, the thesis is that actually large-scale change usually happens in really small places. It's like, they, they talk about like crime rates in New York and all this stuff, and he traces it back to like how there was, there's this period of time in New York where tr- crime rates were, were nosediving. They were going way down, and like they were confused, particularly in the subway systems. In the subways is a place that can be shady. A lot of bad stuff happens. And for a few years, it just went down, so they did some research. What happened? What went on? And they traced it back to something so small. You know what they did? I don't have the time to explain the whole story, but there was a police commission who was adamant what we were going to do to fix crime in New York City in the subway system. We're going to clean the subways, and we're going to take off all the graffiti. And people are like, you think cleaning the subways is going to fix people murdering each other? And he's like, yes. And it was crazy because just changing the environment in a small way it slowly changed the atmosphere, changed how people felt permission to do. It's crazy. Even stuff, simple things like jumping the toll booth, like where they just don't pay and they jump in the subway, those rates went down too, just because the environment changed. They made small changes, cleaning things, taking off the graffiti. They were adamant, like, as soon as you see a tag on there, you immediately have to clean it off. It's like, we don't have time for that. It's important. Because he understood small things will make big difference. Okay? Cool book. Check it out. Tipping point. Right? Um, and all that to say, because I do believe we are called to change the world. The church is going to change the world. That's our mandate. It's not even just our, like it's up to us. God cares about the whole world. But how are we going to get there? How are we going to get there? We got to be willing to see what is God calling me to. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that it's usually something small. Because just because you don't see the value of small things, right? Don't, you, you got to trust God on this one. Hey, God, just with this one person, that's it? It's like, you have no idea what I have in store for this person. You have no idea what this person can do. You have no idea what your small impact can do in the long run, right? Value, cherish the person right in front of you. You'll see what, what it does. Um, man, I want to talk about this one really cool. I just think I'm, I might have to skip over it, but really briefly, uh, I'm going to skip over most of it. But Mark Charles, he's this uh, First Nation people. Um, that means like uh, Native American, but... First Nation is another way to uh, refer to them that they would prefer from I've heard. And he talks about, he was talking in the seminar he gave on um, racism. I heard this a few couple of years back at Urban Youth Workers Institute, right? And he gave a seminar on power versus authority. And he was talking about racism. But he said something so interesting. He says, America is obsessed with power. America is obsessed with power. And he was differentiating between power and authority, okay? And saying power is the capacity to do something, okay? Authority is permission to do something. Permission. Because power looks like I'm bigger than you. If you don't do what I say, I will hurt you, you know? And so I can force you to do it. Okay, I'll do it. That's power. But authority is, there's two levels. One, hey, um, someone that we both, like God or like our boss told me to tell you to do this. So there's, there's, there's um, 
given authority. What's that called? Positional authority, right? But there's also uh, relational authority where you will listen to me because you trust me, because you know that I care, because you actually look up to me as a human being, right? So like he asked this question about, okay, if America lost all of its military power and all of its wealth, would people still listen to us? Like, no, because all of our authority comes from power. We think because we have bigger guns that people have to listen to us, right? But when you look at Jesus, like you think of him washing the disciples' feet, says, knowing all the authority that God has given him and knowing that he will return to the Father and he has come from the Father, knowing exactly all the power he has, says he laid aside his outer garment and he picked up the towel and he washed the disciples' feet. He won authority because he showed them, I care. I care. I love you. I will wash. I will go to the lowest for you, right? Authority. I, I only say that to say, like, we think about power in the church as, okay, okay, if we want to make an impact, we need to be more powerful. We need to be able to have a bigger stage. We need to have more incredible preaching. We need to have a bigger production. We need to have, you know, we need to be more, I don't know, all this. We need more money. We need more this. Like, no, we're looking for power because we think that if we have more power, more capacity, more resources, we can change the world. It's like, no, what we need is to be people who are trustworthy, what we need is to be people who people know that we care. What we need is to, people, to win people's trust and respect and show them that we're people that we can trust, that they can trust, right? To, kind of, to gain the authority, to love and to reach people with the authority of Christ, not because we strong arm them into doing things. You know, that happens all the time. You ever see power preaching on the street corner or people saying, if you don't turn, you're going to go to hell. You're going to, it's like, you're just trying to intimidate people <laughs> into loving Jesus. Like, I, I don't get how that works. Um, Moving on, okay. I, I, so what we're going to get to is this, is, is coming back to influence. You talk about influence. A guy named John Maxwell says this. He says, leadership is influence, okay? And what does it mean to, to lead? What does it mean to influence people? Now, when we talk about influence, we usually think about power, you know, all that kind of stuff. But what I want to say is this. Influence is most naturally expressed in relationships. Influence influence, impact is most naturally expressed in relationships, okay? So then when you look at, okay, in my call, in, okay, I am called, you are called, everyone is, every follower of Jesus is called to influence for the kingdom of God, is to, to, to affect your neighbor for the better, right? What does it look like for me to influence? It's not going to look, okay, how can I build a bigger platform? How can I, I don't know, like give a better speech or all that kind of stuff, but Influence, first and foremost, is what are the relationships that I have in my life that I can look at and say, this is where God has called me to influence, right? Relationships. I just want to hit on this a little bit because I think about Jesus and how he modeled this for us. Because in John chapter 4, right? So John chapter 4, again, John, great book. John chapter 3, Jesus does some incredible things. He does, I mean, let me give you a quick overview of the whole book of John, right? Like John chapter two, he, he, John's making all, uh, Jesus is making these intentional large statements about how everything's gonna change, okay? I'm not gonna tell you what exactly. You have to find out in the Bible study, right? John chapter two, he's talking about, I'm changing things. I am changing this old system. I am changing the kingdom of God. Everything's gonna be new. There's a new kingdom coming, a new birth coming. John in chapter three, he's talking about, you know, like, and it's where he's talking with Nicodemus and he makes that great statement of like, whoever, like, uh, oh my gosh, what's John 3.16? For God so loved the world. Okay, so he's talking about, oh, I literally blanked on John 3.16. Don't fire me. And, 
And he's saying, uh, making big, large, sweeping statements about the shift in the kingdom of God. But then what does he do to show what that looks like? John chapter four, right? Remember this. Hey, big things are changing. The world is changing. God is not going to just love Israel. Now he's going to love the whole world. Now, John chapter four, Jesus lives it out. How does it look like? He goes to Samaria and he talks to one person. Hey, I'm changing everything. The whole kingdom is going to look different. It's, the, it's not, the blessing of God is not just for the people of Israel anymore. It's for, the, it's for the Gentiles. It's like, I'm coming to forgive sins. The world will never be the same. Let me show you how it's done. I'm going to go talk to one woman who has no idea who I am. I'm going to sit down with her and have a conversation with her about deep, intimate things. I want to go into a place of actually touching her pain. I'm going to sit with her, drink water with her. Right? He shows us how he wants to change the world. Through relationships, through conversations, through personal impact, through love. Are we getting this? Right? In 1 Corinthians, in, in 1 Corinthians 7, it talks about, uh, Paul's talking about, he says this, he says, every believer ought to remain in the same situation in which he was saved. Okay, and it goes on and says, remain, remain in the condition that you are. Don't like, if you were, and he's talking about marriage too and stuff like that. Like, hey, if your husband's an unbeliever, don't immediately leave, right? Maybe you can influence him because you already have a relationship with him. Hey, if you're uncircumcised, like, it's okay, stay uncircumcised. Like, hey, if you're, if you're working in an area where there's a bunch of like uh, sinful people, hey, stay there. It's okay. You don't have to like run away from everything bad and now feel like, wherever you are, you were placed there strategically by God. Right? Because a lot of times people think, oh, I need to run away from evil and hide in the holy church so that I can be good. It's like, no, you're good because Jesus lives in you. Right? You're good because Jesus is with you. And actually, wherever you are, he wants you to be there. So right where you are, looking around, because we always think, oh, okay, now I'm called. Now I need to go to China so that I can fulfill my calling for God. It's like, actually, maybe you just need to open your eyes and that person that annoys you that says hi to you every morning when you're going to work, you know, your neighbor, you can say hi back with a smile. You know, and that's the beginning of you fulfilling your calling to reach the world, right? Um, but we're going to talk about that, right? What does it look like? So we understand, we're, now we're going to get to, so, now what do I do? So I, I want to give you guys some homework and some action, all right? We're going to talk about three things, right? I don't think it, I'm just going to tell you what it's not going to be, okay? It's not necessarily going to be a better way to evangelize. Okay, like, so, you know, we've had many, multiple iterations of like, okay, I'm going to, the Romans road. You know, do you know Romans 3, that all fall short, you know, and that everyone sins before God? And do you know that he's forgiven you? Okay, so that's like just another form of how to try to convert or be a good salesman, that kind of thing. That's not what I'm trying to do. But what does it look like as a believer to meaningfully engage in relationships for the sake of Jesus? Okay, I'm going to talk about just three things. We can talk about this for hours and hours. We can have a whole day on this. Let's talk about three things as we close. It's to see people. It's to listen to people, and it's to bless people, okay? That's where we're going to start. There, there's more than that. There's, there's more than that. I just want to start right there because we've neglected these. It just usually jumps to preach at people, okay? Or like give people a track, and that's it, you know? Go to a stranger, but to see people, to listen to people, and to bless. See, listen, and bless. When I talk about seeing people, see, to see somebody This is, I feel like, the most important because 
it, it forces you, because seeing somebody, it, it's not necessarily an action. You don't do anything. But what it is, is first you have to be present. It takes a presence of mind, right? When I talk about seeing people, because you're like, oh, I see people all the time. Hey, but do you really see them as God sees them? Like we walk by people all the time. Like I think about being on the school bus or being in, and walking down the hallways at class or going to work. You're around people all the time. But how often do you stop and do you see them? You appreciate them. You actually think about, you actually think about um, what are they going through? Are they doing all right? Hey, actually, this person's really awesome. He's kind of annoying in some ways, but I bet they're a really awesome person. I want to get to know them, right? It's, it just begins with the mindset and a heart shift where it says, hey, actually, I feel like you have value. I, don't even, I haven't even talked to you yet. I don't want anything from you, but you just, you're, you're inherently valuable because I'm beginning to see you as God has created you to be, right? And I just want to get to know that more. Seeing people, right? Like if, if we just stop and learn how to be a little more present about this, like I have a mentor who he has this big journey with the color yellow. And he says, I just felt like God was speaking to me through the color yellow. So I, I committed to whenever I see the color yellow, I'm going to stop and take a picture of it. He's like a photographer too. And all of a sudden he sees yellow everywhere. He sees yellow everywhere. Like, oh my gosh, like just right now, look, on the, look in the room. Like where do you see the color red? Right? All of a sudden it's like, oh, I have some red on my shirt. You see some red here, some red there. You see, it's just like, it just takes a little bit of mindfulness. So if you just take a moment, it's like, oh, I don't see red all that much. Like, I actually see it all the time everywhere. So take a moment and say, hey, I want to see the people that God loves. All of a sudden, you'll see them everywhere. Okay? Second is this, listening. Listening. This is a lost art. And I think actually listening is one of the most powerful things. I'm good, actually, for a second. Um, my bad. Uh, Listening is one of the most powerful things, powerful things you can do to influence somebody, to impact somebody. How do I already know that's true? I can say that just flat out right there. How does God change us? It's by listening to our prayers, right? Confess your sins to God and you will be forgiven. How do we, how do we find forgiveness and, and how do we become saved? How do we, it's when we cry out to God. It's when he hears us. Our prayers aren't powerful because we're powerful people. Our prayers are powerful because God chooses to listen and gives value and weight to the words we give. You have the power, right, to say, hey, what you are experiencing, what you are feeling matters. Your pain is not a joke. Your pain is not insignificant. You matter. You are valuable. How do you do that? Most people think I need to tell you, hey, you're valuable, right? You can do something amazing without saying a single word. By listening, you are showing them, you are letting them experience, not just hear that they're valuable, but to experience that they're valuable. You will show people, you will let them experience being loved by listening. I remember a time I was, uh, I was at, um, I used to help out at this uh, Wednesday night community center thing. We have classes and it was like a free dinner and there was, it was a time for the community, people who are generally underserved to be able to get some free classes and stuff for their kids and um, food. And I remember there was a person there. I, I saw, and I saw him there a few times. It was, um, it was a man who was in the process of transitioning to become a woman. Okay? And, um, and, and she, she was, I would see her around and she would, uh, always be there. I could tell she's a little like, you know, a little hesitant showing up, but like, do I belong here? Do I, am someone going to call me out? Is some, I don't know. I remember I just, 
I mean, I'm not all that special. Like, I heard a sermon, and we were, like, challenging ourselves. Hey, go talk to somebody. Hear their story. Okay, I'm just going to go sit down awkwardly. Just talk. Hey, can I sit here? Oh, yeah, sure. And literally all I did was, like, um, hey, where are you from? What are you doing here? Oh, so cool. Like, man, you seem like a really, like, interesting person. Like, where, can you tell me your story? Like, where are you from? And, um, like, I would love to know who you are. And there was this awkward moment of, like, Right? Just a little bit of confusion. I'm like, did I just offend them? Am I making them uncomfortable and stuff? And they started talking a little bit and they talk, like, said like two sentences. Like, oh, that's, that's really, like, that's crazy. Um, what, and I asked a couple of questions. And after I asked a couple of follow-up questions, they were realizing, oh, you actually want to hear. And it's powerful what asking a question can do. You're saying so much more than just asking the question. You're showing them, I actually care. I want to know. Right? So asking questions is really hard, but we can practice this, right? And so what happened is, they, and then what happened was, once she, once she started going, she talked for two hours straight, right? The community set, night was ending where I had to go help clean up and serve, like, but I felt like this is too important. I'm listening. I'm not saying a word. Literally all I'm doing is listening, but it's too important for me to stop right now. Listening. I hear her share a story, and it ends. And literally at the end of it, she's just like, oh, and just like staring off. And I was like, you okay? Like, you okay? Like, yeah. No one's ever asked me that before. That's the first time I've, I've actually ever, half this thing about this is I've actually never told anyone ever in my entire life, right? And like, I actually always felt ashamed of that stuff. I was like, hey, that stuff, like, I remember just saying, it's like, I'm so sorry that happened to you. It's not your fault. I, I remember what I said. I didn't say anything. I didn't say much because when someone begins to trust you and open their heart to you, what you can accomplish by listening even if you say simple things, you'll be, it's amazing. Sometimes people don't need an insightful word. They don't need some great teaching. They don't need all that stuff. They need to hear the simple truth, but they need to hear from someone that they trust, that they know cares. How do we show people that we care, that we're trustworthy? Listen, try it, listen. Find somebody today, find somebody this week and say, hey, this sounds crazy, but I just realized I've never asked you your story. Can you share, me a little, uh, share with me a little bit about like what made you who you are today? And they might feel like, what do you mean? I'm like, I don't know. You tell me. And listen. Ask some follow-up questions. Just, and, and train your heart to actually care. Don't, I'm not saying fake it. Like pretend like in your mind you hate them, but then you're, and you're showing, you're smiling. No. Hey, I want to care because God cares. Right? Follow in the footsteps of God here. Listen to people. Right? Love them. You'll be amazed at what beautiful relationships you can build through that, how much deeper your relationships will be. Last is this, is to bless. I'm only gonna spend a couple minutes talking about this because um, we could do, you know, in the time, we're gonna do like ministry trainings. We're gonna do discipleship courses. We're gonna, we wanna train people on this stuff. So don't worry, like you don't need to try and figure out exactly how to do it all right now. But I just wanna really simply talk about what does it mean to bless somebody? What does it mean to bless Okay, it's simple. I sat on this for about an hour, and honestly, I'm like, I don't really know. But I know a part of it is this. It's, a, I think really simply, it's a blessing is anything that brings someone back into connection with God. A part of that can be reminding them of who God has called them to be or reminding them of who God sees them as, Right? Helping them, see, helping them see how God sees them, right? 
the very simplest, the most elementary form of blessing, we could just call it a compliment. Like, hey, like, you're funny. Or like, I like your overalls. Or I like your blonde hair, you know? Like, or I, I don't know, whatever. It can be as simple as just saying the good, right? But if you take it a little bit deeper, that's just a compliment. But a blessing is just, just a little bit more. It has some love in it. It has some intentionality in it. It has, some, it has a little bit of, I want to see them as God sees them. Hey, you know, you're really worthy to be loved, right? I, I mean, there might be a less intense way to word that, you know, but like, I really enjoy being in your presence. You're a likable person, right? You're really easy to love. You know, it, literally in simple statements like that, you could be breaking curses in their lives where they, they've been told that they're not lovable, right? That they're too much. Like, hey, you're not too much. I enjoy your presence, right? Hey, you're... You're, you're such a peaceful person. Hey, you're so good at bringing joy. Hey, you're really capable. You're really smart. You're really, it's, and I feel like God's actually like, man, I see this. You don't have to make it into a big prophetic word of like, hey, hold on. I need to, you know, the Lord says that you are smart. You know, I don't, you don't have to make it so intense like that. But blessing people, choosing to recognize that your words have power. I want to share a little story of when I was in third grade. Um, did I already share this story about my third grade teacher, Miss Matthews? I did, didn't I? Okay, I I'm just going to share it as we close. Um, can I get your help up here, Chris? Um, so about blessing. I was in third grade, and I had the best third grade teacher, like this lovely African-American woman. She was young at the time. I mean, she was old to me. I was in third grade, but she was, 20, she was just out of college, and she was a teacher, third grade teacher. All of my teachers, I grew up in Champaign, Illinois. I grew up behind a cornfield, and, and all my teachers were, just being honest, like very old Caucasian women. Okay, but first, young teacher, she's black. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. And she's kind of sassy. And so when I, I was always kind of a smart, I, I, had, I talked a lot in class, and she would talk back to me, but in a playful way. And I'm like, oh, I'm not just getting in trouble. Like she's actually, she's in, not encouraging me to talk, like smock, talk smack, but she, she doesn't hate me for it. So I built this great relationship with her. I had the best year of my life. She made me love school. I remember fourth grade came around. I had the worst teacher, like the grumpiest. It felt like Matilda, you know, like the evil principal. And, but I remember one time I was walking down the hallways and that uh, I was, had a hall pass to go to the bathroom and I was just wandering around because I didn't want to go to class. And I walked by the third grade, third grade hall and I see, I just, out of the corner of my eye, glimpse, I see Miss Matthews and she, she's like, hey, Andrew. And I was like, oh, I pick my head back in. I'm, I'm only in fourth grade, right? I pick my head back in. She's like, hey, come inside, come inside. I'm like, oh, okay. And I come in. She's like, hey, class, I just want, I want to introduce you. This is Andrew. He was one of my best students. He's so smart, right? And I remember just feeling like, <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty smart, right? And, and I just feel like, oh, dang. And she's like, Andrew, this is my, I'm teaching my third graders how to te tell time. You want to teach them how to tell time? And I was like, suddenly I had this sinking feeling in my heart, like, Oh my gosh! I like stage fright, and like I can't, I can't talk. For, I can't do this. I don't, I don't remember how to tell time. You know, I don't remember, and and all of a sudden I can't. I, I don't know. And then I, she, I was like, okay, sure. And I'm trying to tell. I'm trying to like, well, three. You know, Miss Matt, I think I need to go back to my classroom. I think, I think I have to go now. She's like, oh, okay, that's fine. Okay, if you need to go, you can go. We'll see you later. And then that was it. I walked past my classroom. I was so scared. I felt like an idiot. I saw her after class, uh, after school that day in the parking lot. She says, Hey, Andrew. Hi, Ms. Matthews. Hey, come here for a second. She's like, hey, why don't you come by? I'll talk to your teacher, um, and I'll, I'll tell her I want to invite you back into class to, te to, to teach the third graders how to tell time. And I was like, oh, I feel, I don't know. She doesn't like me. I don't know all this. And she's like, um, 
And she just said, I think she could tell I was scared. She's like, hey, you don't have to. But Andrew, I think you'd be a great teacher. <laughs> right? <laughs> Emotional, right? I think you'd be a great teacher. And all of a sudden I felt like, well, may maybe I can. Maybe I can. I went that next day and I, I taught third graders how to tell time. That was the first time I taught somebody anything. That was the first moment in my entire life where I felt like God began to form me. You know, I remember from that day, I started telling people, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a teacher. I want to be a professor. I want to, be, I want to teach people, right? She spoke part of my destiny into me in such an ordinary moment. Hey, I think you'd be a great teacher, right? See, she had the power. She had the power to remind me of how God sees me. Hey, you're a good student. You are, you're, you're, you're worthy. To, I believe in you, right? You're going to be a great teacher. You can do great things. You can influence people. You can do it. I needed to hear those things. I had nowhere else where people could bless me. It was such a small thing, but I'm so thankful that she saw me and she recognized this small relationship I have with this little third grader who's not even my student anymore. This is an avenue in which I can be a source of blessing. And I can, I can wholeheartedly say she was doing her calling to change the world. Because I wouldn't be here today if she didn't in that, in that moment tell me I'm going to be a good teacher. I just want to say Prue Sanders out there, giving you a shout out. She still, I still talk with her on Facebook. She listened to one of my sermons when Clyde said she told me I did a great job. Every time I see her, I get so encouraged. I'm reminded of God's faithfulness. But that's what God's called us to do. It's not some extravagant, big, sexy, flashy, expensive, shiny thing. It's not some epic, grand, you know, explosions and, you know, like conspiracy. I don't know. It's, I'm convinced that there is, there is so much gravity, so much weight, so much beauty in the small things that God has already put in our hands. So right where you are, would you close your eyes with me? Man, I believe it. I believe anyone who has been touched by God, anyone who has the Holy Spirit residing within them, you know, a mark of, a mark of the presence of the Holy Spirit in a, in a believer's life is a desire to serve God. You know, that can get clouded. It can get muddied up um, because how church can be, I don't know, like it can be manipulative or forceful or, you know, shame you and guilt you and you're not doing enough, whatever. But deep down, there is some sort of desire because you love God. You want to be a part of what he's doing. You want to love him. You want to love what he loves. You want to serve. Let me just take a moment. Can we find that desire again? You might have to dig a little bit. Like, oh, but I'm sick of how my small group leader treated me. I'm so sick of how my pastor treated me. I'm so sick of Christians, how they can be this. Yeah, I understand all that mess. But deep down, let's just, let's just take a moment. Is there still a cry in your heart that says, God, I want to be a part. God, I want to follow in your footsteps. I want to walk with you to love those who need your love. Tap into, that, tap into that desire. Just pray with me. Say, God, I want to be used by you. I don't know if I can, you know, 
change the world or all that, you know, big stuff and the Hollywood style movies explosion. I don't know, but, but God, in, in some small way, can I serve you? Can you use someone like me? God, here are my hands. Just lift up your hands to him. Say, God, here are my hands. Here are my hands. Now I want you to ask, ask a question. I want to ask you a question. What's already in your hands? Better question, who is already in your hands? I'm just telling you, there isn't, you don't got to go find something to do for God. Because what God cares about is already in your hands. Who are the precious souls that are already in your hands, within your reach? Who are your friends, your coworkers, your classmates, your siblings, your neighbors, your, your, your parents, your family members? Sometimes those, those precious little souls that you're called to love can look like a big, grumpy, mean person, you know? They're not always the, the most pleasant. It's easy to say, oh, you see like a starving child. Oh, I have so much compassion. It's hard to have compassion on someone that annoys the crap out of you, you know, that like leaves their trash bins out in front of your car so you can't get out and say, oh, I hate my neighbor, you know, but maybe that's the who. Just ask that to God. Say, God, who's in my hands? Who are you calling me to love? Who are you calling me to see? To just look at? To open my eyes and really see? To lay aside all my annoyance or selfishness or my own preferences or my own agenda or my own bias, whatever, and just who am I called to see? as you see them, past all the rough edges, that precious soul that has a beautiful story that I don't even know about yet. God, would you teach me, ask, pray, pray this with me too, that he would teach you to be someone who listens, not who does, not who acts, because you know I, I've I've done plenty of homeless ministries or whatever. These pe where people go and they just hand something and then they walk away and they pat themselves on the back like, yeah, I did a great job, I did God's work. It's like, yeah, maybe, but like, did you look them in the eyes? Did you smile? Did you see them? Did you ask them who they are? You know, like, ask God, teach me to be a person that doesn't just do stuff. That doesn't just say stuff like, like, oh, I said a bunch of great things. Yeah, but nobody heard you because it's all about you. God, teach me to listen. Give me the strength of heart. Give me the humility to be someone who can listen because I don't want my voice to shine. I want their voice to shine. I don't want my story or my, my speech to be the highlight, God. I want their story, Lord to be what gets highlighted so that your love, God, so that your love can pour out upon them. Teach me, Lord, to love like you love. Teach me to listen the way you listen. That every word that a person says, you hang on to every word. 
that just as you have never let a single one of my prayers fall short, you've never let a single one of my words, none of my tears fall to the ground, unheard, unanswered, God. Lord, I want to love people with that same kind of intentionality, that same kind of passion, that same kind of care and tenderness. Help me to hold the words, the stories that these people carry with sacredness, Lord. And Lord, give me the courage. Give me the courage to speak words of blessing. Even right now, I just wanna, I want you to, I want you to kind of get, get, make some homework for yourself. First is this, take a moment when you're in public transit or you're, you're sitting or you know, you're not talking and to just people watch, see people. Look at someone that you live with, that you don't, they're, not, they're reading the newspaper, they're on their computer, just look at them and try to see them, see their story. Second is this, find somebody. Find somebody, someone that you know you care about already that you feel like God has put in your hands and say, I wanna listen to their story or whatever it is. Hey, this is so crazy, but I, you never told me about your childhood. Can you tell me a little bit about your family growing up? Or what are you passionate about? I actually don't know what, you're, what you feel like you're passionate about. Ask a question and listen with all of your heart as of what they're sharing, their hopes, their dreams, their pain. It's the treasures of God. And third is this. Commit this week, maybe just one person. Even if it's just one person. Say something nice. Just be, be nice. It can start off with just a compliment. Hey, I don't say this very often, but I really like how you dress. Hey, your hair looks great. Hey, you know, you're actually really like a funny guy. And I think I appreciate that. Start off there. But maybe you can actually pray about it for a little bit and be like, actually, I feel like this is more than just a compliment. Hey, I just feel like, man, when I see you, you're a source of joy and, and safety for people. And I'm just, you're such a blessing to me. And I feel like God's made you to be that way. And thank you for being you. That's blessing. You're reminding them of who they're called to be, right? Of identity. So that's it today, guys. I'm gonna close this in prayer now. Um, can I close this? Yeah. I just want to share a couple things because next week is Easter and I think we can put a little feet in action to these words and be intentional. And I know this is kind of old school to invite people to church on Easter and Christmas. Um, but with that said, I think people who are not believers, their heart is more geared to attend church around Christmas or Easter. I kind of call them CEOs, Christmas, Easter onlys, right? Uh, I love it though. And why is that so important? One of my uh, closest friends uh, growing up, I was, he was so far into the world, he had stopped believing that there even existed a God. And I just was like, I'm gonna invite him to church. I wasn't a pastor in the church that I was attending. This is close to 10 years ago. And I said, I'm just gonna invite him to church because it'll probably be awkward if I talk to him about the gospel because we haven't had that kind of relationship, but maybe the pastor's got a word for him, right? So I just put it out there. Long story short, it was the corniest Easter production you ever saw. Um, the worship was like an hour long, which is what you don't wanna do when you have unbelievers coming. It's just like, it was just a, not a great service to bring uh, kind of new school unbelievers. Nonetheless, when the altar call was made, my friend looked at me and he said, uh, I think it's time. You wanna go down with me? And I looked at him and he had tears in his eyes. I had tears in mine. And I, I didn't expect that. I didn't even see God moving on him during the message. But God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly 
but we have to do our part. With every miracle, there's our part. For when He's gonna raise up Lazarus, but you gotta move the stone. He's gonna heal the blinded eyes, but Bartimaeus has gotta get up and come to him. He's gonna heal the woman with the issue of blood, but she's gotta press through the crowd. You have loved ones, sons, daughters, cousins, uncles, all of them that need Jesus. Next week is Easter Sunday. And we're specifically gearing the service to the unbeliever. The majority of our Sunday services are really geared towards the believer because those are the majority of people attending. But every now and then we do specific Sundays where it's gonna be a message that's geared for unbelievers. I wanna encourage you, would you do this one little act and simply just invite somebody to watch. Obviously we can't attend, I wish we could, but who knows what God can do in that 30, 45 minutes I just believe he can do it. So I just wanted to encourage you. Next week is Easter. Here's the part that you can play. You can simply invite folks. Just invite everybody on your friends list. Invite, just throw it out. I'll say this and then I'll let Andrew close. Jesus said that he would make us fishers of men. And when we think about that, I think we think I'm not much of a fisher. I've gone fishing a few times, but I never catch anything. Um, I'm, I'm kind of scared to catch something because I've seen people catch stuff with a pole, you know, when they catch it and then it goes crazy. I'm like, ooh, me and animals, I don't really care for them. But I like the idea of fishing. But that's not what Jesus was talking about when he said I was going to make you fishers of men. Because these fishermen didn't fish with just a pole, they fished with nets. Why am I saying that? When you fish with a pole, you have specific bait for the specific type of fish you want. And churches are like this. So they put bait for white affluent people and then white affluent people are attracted or, you know, hood folks or whatever it is. But here's what Jesus says. I don't want you to just go after the people that you like or the ones that you feel comfortable with. I want you to cast your net. When you cast your net, you're going to get some junk in there. You're going to get all kinds of fish. But that's what I want to encourage us to do this week. Can we just cast our net? Well, they're not going to come. Who knows? Just cast the net. Just invite them. That's all you got to do. And let's see what God will do. Let's, let's not pick and choose who we think might be open, who might not be open. You'd be surprised who God is working on right now in your life. So can I encourage you just one more time? This week is the Easter Sunday. Would you take some time intentionally, send some text messages, make some phone calls, Facebook, DM some folks, tell them you need to come and visit our church. God has a word, something special for you, all right? I'm going to let Andrew close this in prayer. So good. I just had a little thought too on top of that. Like, it might be awkward, but you know, Facebook, well, on top of that, even using the invitation, the invitation to come to Easter, to Easter service as an opportunity, like where the, the end goal isn't that they would come to one service, right? But maybe the end goal is out of this, is like maybe I want to build a deeper relationship with them. And this is one opportunity for that. And while they come to the service, their life could be changed. But even if, even if it's just attending a service together and they're just like, that's interesting. Hey, but you brought them into that, right? So I, this is a random thing on top of that, uh, a challenge. If you feel convicted by this, think about it. Host like a Facebook party, you know? And it's like, hey, this is like really random, but like, you know, my church, you know, I go to church and like we're doing this Easter thing and um, just want to invite a few friends that typically haven't seen our church to, to watch with me. So like, if you're down, I'm just going to invite you and we can watch together. You can be doing other stuff. And then afterwards you can be like, hey, what did you think? And talk about it. You know, be there with them. Like, I remember we're saying with Dell, we're saying some people try so hard to make their churches into a place where if a non-believer walked in, they would feel super comfortable, right? But at the end of the day, what makes people feel comfortable in any place is if they have someone there with them that they trust. So even if you come to church and it's like, they're doing a lot of Christian stuff. I don't know what this prayer is. I don't know what this song is. Hey, but it's okay because I'm here with my friend. 
and they're going to kind of walk me through it. And that's okay. Even if I leave, we'll talk about it. Like, yeah, that was pretty weird. Like, yeah, it was kind of weird, huh? We can talk about it. But because they trust you. So take that, take some of that, take advantage of some of that relationship. Utilize it, steward it, invite them. Use it as a moment to take your relationship into a, a little bit of a spiritual place. And not to be weird and suddenly become their pastor, all that stuff. But hey, we can talk about these things. We can experience these things. You can use it as a moment to actually build trust. And maybe God will begin to speak to them. Yeah? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for what's coming. Lord, we thank you for, for Easter to come. God, today is Palm Sunday, Lord, and there's something so beautiful, Lord, about the image of you coming in to change the world. Because you came to die. You came, you chose, you, you willingly entered into the place where you would experience suffering and death. But as you walked, God, you looked people in the eyes. You held people's hands. You spoke their name. You told them that they were clean. You told them that you want to eat in their house. You told them that they are loved. You called them daughter. You called them brother, Lord. You called them friend. You walked with people, Lord. And even as you came down to, to sit with the disciples at your last meal, Lord, you laid aside your power. You laid aside, God, all the, your, the entitlement, Father. You laid aside all the glory, Father. And you picked up the towel to serve, to love, that you could hold the feet of your disciples in your own very hands. You could be within them in the dirty places, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you wanted to walk with us, that you wanted to touch us personally, that you came not just to preach a message to us, but to have a meaningful relationship with us. So God, we wanna walk in your footsteps. We wanna walk as you walked, Lord. And Father, you had a vision in your eyes, Father. Your eyes, they burn with the vision of the kingdom, God, where people would know your love. They would know your glory. They would know your goodness. They would taste your goodness, Lord, and they would experience freedom in truth and true worship, Lord. You carried that vision, Lord. But we want to live out that vision the way that you lived it out, by walking with the hurting and the broken, by loving people. So God, would you teach us to be good lovers? Lord, I just pray, Lord. We don't, we, we don't need better preachers. <laughs> God, we don't need, you know, better TV personalities. We don't need, you know, I mean, that stuff would be cool too. Um, but Lord, we want to love your people the way you loved. So God, just once again, we lift up our hands to you. Here are our hands, and here's everything that we hold. Help us to steward the precious people that you've put in our lives. Teach us how to love, and would your grace and your anointing be upon us. We just want to bless every single person out there right now who feels called and challenged and convicted to love, would you anoint them, Lord? Give them courage. And for those that they are, they are drawn to, that those that they are stepping into, Father, would you, give them, um, would you give them a covering, an anointing, Father, 
to not be suspicious, to not be angry, not be defensive, but to be open-hearted to receive love. So Father, we just trust your hand is upon this, Lord. We lift you high here. We enthrone you. And in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Collide City Church. It's been an honor and a blessing to worship with you again this week. And we will see you next week. We got, a, we got Easter coming up, so please tune in. Invite your friends. Be there. Worship with us. We're going to worship our resurrected King and Savior. Amen? All right, we'll see you guys for Easter.